All right. We're going to do this again. How about that? You ready? <laughs> we're going to, we're a, we started a kind of a two-week thing. Sometimes I just don't know where I'm going. I just be honest with you guys, okay? So that's all right. That's just real life. Um, and we, so we had two weeks in between kind of some series that we were doing, and, I, and Kevin said, do you have any ideas? And I said, sure, and then I changed it. So uh, we did Born Again last week out of John 3, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, man, it was fun. It was kind of fun to pick apart just a section of Scripture, talk about Nico. And you guys remember Nico, <laughs> Nicodemus? Um, and it was fun to just kind of see how that, that, how that scripture or that idea, I should say, uh, born again, was brought out of John 3, where it says, uh, if you want to be my follower, you must be born again. And I love kind of reclaiming that and bringing that back into this idea of we all need a new heart and a fresh start that only comes from Jesus. And that's basically what, what Jesus laid out to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a little confused, but Obviously, in the end, we have the, the knowledge to look back on the resurrection and be able to see what Jesus was talking about, and Nicodemus is trying to understand in the moment. And so I, I, I sat down this week, and I go, okay, what am I going to do now? And, and then I just read John chapter 4, and I went, but this is what we're going to do. So, uh, so we're going to talk about born again, and we're going to just go to John chapter 4, uh, because John chapter 4 is a continuation of this idea, like I laid out last week. Uh, John, the gospel of John, is, is actually this account, this historical account that is pulled together with one purpose. It's, it's told by the author it's himself in chapter 20. He says, I'm collecting and showing and, and putting all this stuff together that you may have faith and that you would come to believe in Jesus. That's what John says. And so it's not a hidden meaning. He's not trying to like pull a fast one on you at all. I think he's trying to explain. And so I told you that chapters 2, 3, and four have four stories that all kind of outline and show what Jesus was coming to change, what Jesus was coming to bring, uh, this new idea. And so three was kind of this religious leader, Nicodemus, this guy that was high up, I mean, kind of government, and he had a lot of influence and a lot of training, and he was absolutely in a position of power. And he came at night to talk to Jesus because he sees something in Jesus that he's going, I need that. I need that. And so today, um, we're interacting with the next story that John chooses to, to bring to us, and it's a continuation of the thought. But I want to remind you that in John chapter 3, verse 16, it's one of the most famous verses. It's, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes... Uh, would, have, would be saved and be given eternal life. And so this idea is flushed out in this next story of the whole world for whoever. Uh, because uh, the audience that John was writing to automatically uh, kind of puts it in the people that you know idea. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? We're like, whoever can come to dinner. Like, you say that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, whoever. You don't mean whoever, Right? Uh, you don't mean whoever. You mean there's a certain group of people that has been established that you can choose from. And for the Jewish people, it was very much so a family ordeal that whoever must not mean the whole world. It must mean, of course, Israel, Jewish people. And John very quickly wants to make sure that we understand this message is fuller than that. It's bigger than that. And so continuation of that thought, we find ourselves in John chapter 4, and this is so fun, but I'm going to take my time as much as I can, but I don't want to talk forever because you guys like food, and I get that, but there's so much stuff in here, and it's so full. I won't have time to say everything. I shouldn't say everything, 
but we'll try to get to a lot of it. Sound good? So let's just start John chapter uh, 4, verse 4. Uh, and this is where we pick up the, where Jesus is interacting uh, with someone in Samaria. So here it is. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, this is so cool. Jesus is traveling from Judea back to Galilee, and there's this place called Samaria, and it was in between, kind of like, this is a horrible way I should have done a map, like this, and they have to either go through or around. And most Jews, because Samaria was seen as something as a non uh, desirable location, all right, would travel around. But of course, Jesus, Jesus being who Jesus is, he's like, no, 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 we're going straight through. That's the quickest way, but it's not necessarily the natural way that these guys are used to doing it, and it's definitely a little unorthodox. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, uh, near the plot of, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this is a little historical context. Here it's just some Old Testament characters. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Anybody been out in the heat around noon? Okay, that's all that's saying for you, just so you know. Sometimes the Bible is that simple. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, this is, uh, this is important to, to recognize because for us, this seems like a very natural, soft interaction. If you've been around the church for a long time, you're like, that's bigger than it is. But I'll just tell you, as a natural, as you're reading the text, that just seems real simple, right? Jesus is hot. It's, it's, it's the middle of the day. Uh, he comes to a well, which for us, it's not the penny well, right? This isn't the well you're like throwing pennies in in, in the you know, restaurant. And you can't just go up and get a drink. It's deep. It's deep underground. Um, you know, it could be over 100 feet, sometimes even over 200 feet deep to draw water out of. And so just because you're next to water doesn't mean you can get it. And so this woman shows up, a Samaritan woman, which is great context for us because it's in Samaria, right? This is a simple explanation. But then Jesus asks her, can you or will you give me a drink? Now, let's pause and let's just put this in context for you, okay? Um, let's just say you are sitting outside of a restaurant and you are hungry, okay, and someone comes by, and you ask them for food, okay, that to you might, how many, how many of that would be a really uncomfortable conversation if you were really hungry, and you needed some food, and you didn't have a way of getting it, but you wanted some food, and so you saw somebody, had some food, okay, all right, this is, this is the kind of context this is, times a hundred, Okay, this is the context of this is outrageous. Uh, I want you to imagine you go to the fanciest place, all right, and you stand outside the fanciest steakhouse in Springfield, all right, and you stand outside of it, and then you just wait for your victim, I mean your person, to come and to help you, okay? And you walk up to them and you say, hi, I would like you to buy me dinner. How would that conversation go? take you to McDonald's, right? <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, why is that out of context? Why would that not work? Uh, because one, it, it would be completely outrageous for you to ask for this expensive meal for someone else to give you, right? Two, why in the world are you standing out front looking good, like preparing, right, to, to get this person to eat you, not to eat you, to, to feed you. The context of this is almost that, but it's just a little different. I just want you to feel the awkwardness of that. I want you to sit in that moment of the awkwardness. 
Because, see, men didn't talk to women back then. In fact, men were, were not really even supposed to approach women if there wasn't a male present. So if their father or their husband or an older brother wasn't present, they weren't supposed to be approached or directly talked to by other men. It was seen as inappropriate. Then on top of that, the Sumerian, the Samaritan idea comes in, which to us, that, does, that, that doesn't even make sense because, see, the, 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 the problem that's going on here is racism and religious just tension beyond the nines. I mean, this is just crazy amounts of tension. Fights to, I mean, for eternity in, in the helms. Basically, the Samaritans are being told, no, you cannot go to the temple and worship. The Jews are saying, you are not of an appropriate birth and heritage to come in. You are not a Jew. You cannot be a part of this. They are saying, we have heritage. We are a part of Jews. We have interracially married, but we are still very much so Jewish. And because of that, their plot of land is dead in the middle in the center of Israel. And they're just surrounded by people that are telling him no. And they're surrounded by people saying, we want this. And then Jesus just walks into the center, walks to the well in the middle of the day, and then asks for a drink in the middle of all that tension. I'm trying to get you to feel that, because for us, sometimes the, the tension of that would just be so crazy. And maybe you could put your own scenario to it that would give you the amount of tension. But th- when he asked that simple question, it's filled with tension. And you can uh, his disciples are gone, so this helps uh, us give context. There's just Jesus and this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In fact, for him to take water for her, from her would have been making him ceremonially unclean. It's a big deal. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And I just laid you out a little bit of the context. So much history in that that it cannot go into. But so much is going on. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... Who it is that asks you for a drink, you, would, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus turns it around, as only Jesus says, and he says, look, it's not about what I'm asking you for. If you know who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. Now, that's a Yoda moment if I've ever heard one, all right? I don't know how Jesus does this, but he just has this way of taking a situation and just going, no, it's actually this way. It's this way. And you can see it in the woman's answer. Her answer is this. Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Verse 11. Maybe not. Ooh. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. You see this, right? Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his livestock? Pause. She's basically saying, I see through what you're saying. You got nothing. You got nothing to offer me. I have all the cards. She's thinking he's playing a trick to try to get some water from her. She's thinking, you, you can't sweet talk me. All right? You, you, you think you're greater? Can you guys read this scene? Just, just put that little spin on it in your mind. I can just see how you're like, nah, you ain't getting that out of me. Don't pretend like I'm doing something for you when you're doing something for me. That's not how this works. You're in need. I got what you need. <laughs> in verse 12, 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed, thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, at that point, I'm sure, you know, she's like, what? <laughs> I mean, this is just some lady getting water at a well, you guys. You know, she didn't come for like some mystic, you know, at the water. I mean, can you imagine just rolling up middle of the day, just hanging out, it's hot, just trying to get the chores done. You got to do this at some point during the day. She's probably doing it in the middle of the day because she has no other choice. And then pff, this guy's just throwing, pff, here, this little thought nugget. Just chew on this. Chew on this moment. I want to pose a question to you to kind of start our discussion. There's so much in our lives that need fixing. Anybody do you have anything right now, a list at your house that you're fixing? Anybody got it? Come on now. Guys, be honest. You didn't get it done yesterday. It's apple butter. All right? You didn't get it. It didn't happen. Right? Plus, it's raining. That's a great excuse for lots of things to not get done. Right? It's raining. I can't. It's in the garage, isn't it? No, it's raining. Can't do it. Right? Ladies, do you have anything to get done that didn't get done this week? Anything to fix or finish up? Nothing, right? Those lists just get longer and longer the longer you live, I think. That's what I think I'm discovering. You ever fix something and it breaks right away again? Oh, man, doesn't that just irk you? Just irks me. We had this doorknob at our house. Our kids love to play the game, lock every door, and we have no key. And I hate it. It's the worst game on the planet. I have learned how to card doors better than college because my kids just literally run down the hallway, slam the door, and it's locked. So we had this one doorknob, would not unlock, no matter what you did. You had to take the thing apart for it to find it. We fixed it. So we thought. You want to watch a mama bear come out, you lock the door to the bed for the toddler at 2 o'clock and can't get it open where puppy's at. <laughs> and all chaos breaks out. What's in your life right now that's not fixable? What's in your life right now that no matter how many times you work on it, it just doesn't seem to get better? What's in your life right now that, that, that sometimes it gets a little, a little better, but truly it's just a Band-Aid to open heart surgery? We all have these things. Sometimes it can be a marriage. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it can be a bank account. You know, you get a check, but then it like goes away again. How about a car? Just seems like you can never get a solid piece of transportation. Or how about something even a little deeper? How about this feeling of loneliness that just no matter how many people you have in your life, it doesn't go away? How about an addiction? How many people you talk to or how many programs you sign up for, no matter what you do, it just seems to cling, not go away. Keeps you rearing its ugly head. There's so many things in our life that are negative or positive that we want fixes for. 
I think Jesus uses this illustration of water in a beautiful way. Um, how many of you have been really, really, really thirsty? You've been really, really thirsty? Is there anything else when you're really, really thirsty that you really want? Like, I, I can just imagine being really, really thirsty, 120 degrees, middle of the day, where they're at, and someone just brings you the most beautiful meal on the face of the planet. Just gorgeous, laid it out, right? And you're looking at things and going, I can't touch that. <laughs> I have to have a drink. My, my throat hawk. There's no way, although that's beautiful, I, I, cannot, I cannot eat that. How many things in our life, you guys, are those routines over and over again? We have to eat, we have to drink, we have to breathe. And those things are taken away or removed, oxygen, water, food, and immediately our lives slow down to a crawl. I mean, everything else goes away, right? It doesn't matter. And stations. You can't even get to the second level of anything around you. I remember one time we went to uh, Disneyland as a family, and uh, had some family, or had some people, I think, in our church that just went to Disney World, and I love seeing all the pictures and stuff, but went to Disneyland as a family, and I remember we got there, and it was so hot in California, and you get in the middle of Disneyland, it's the funnest place on earth, right? This is the place where everybody's supposed to, just, just so much fun, right? We didn't bring any water. You're stupid. I still remember this. We get in, we're right underneath Cinderella's castle, and I remember we'd walked like 10 miles from the parking lot because we weren't going to take the shuttle. We were walkers. And, you know, you get all the way to the castle, and you're thinking, this is the best place on the planet. It was all this fun to be had. And, you know, the only thing we could figure out was, where are the $10 bottles of water? Where are they? I need five of them. I will take them all. Give me one. I think Jesus is trying to hit right here at this woman, and I know we're going to see the context, and for those of you that grew up in the church, you know the context of what's coming, but for those of you that didn't, I hope this is just an amazing thing that you get to see, and if you've, if you've heard this story a thousand times, I hope you hear this fresh. Jesus is about real life here. He's about bringing new life. He's about offering something that doesn't need sustained input to keep going. How many of you have experienced this in maybe your adult life where everything you do just doesn't seem to last till tomorrow? You accomplish something in your professional life. You accomplish something in your relationship life. You have a a fun experience or a vacation. You do something amazing as a family, and then the next day you wake up, and guess what? It's still just not quite enough. The house isn't big enough. The car's not new enough. There's not enough money in the bank account. We haven't had enough conversations. We haven't made enough memories. There's just not enough to do. And, and here's, here's all Jesus is trying to say is, if you're trying to fulfill everything you want inside the parameters of this world, you are going to find that it's not enough. It's just not. I've never met anyone that has, has just said, you know what, I just have enough of time. I just do. I just have plenty of it all the time in the world. I'm going, no. Even the richest person on the planet can't buy more time. It's not possible. 
So when Jesus offers living water that brings eternal life, it doesn't matter how desperately thirsty you are in that moment. You're going, endless time? What's that worth? Endless time? That's it. So here's my questions. Do you want to fix or do you want new life? Do you want to fix or do you want new life? Uh, the fix is uh, immediate. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, new life is a process. This is pursuit. This is a promise. This is something far off. This is a little bit more tricky to put your faith in or to see or to want. But do you want to fix or do you want new life? This is a focus every day. You choose one of those two. Your choices will prove whether a desire reigns or something distant that a promise could actually have more pull. Let's continue our story, though. So Jesus just offered eternal life, and this is what the woman said, Sir, give me this water. <laughs> right? Sweet. You got it? Hook me up so that I won't go thirsty and have to come draw water again. How many times have you read this in the Bible? If you have read the Bible at all, what you will find is the greatest struggle in all the characters of the Bible is still our same struggle, right? Just imagine, just like Space Jam. You remember Space Jam? Michael Jordan's special stuff, right? Could you just imagine if we just had a big old pot of eternal living water up here, and every day you just had to come up and go, hey, uh, I need a refill. I need a refill. That's what she's looking for. Give me the real thing. Now, this is a really good question, and it sometimes feels so stupid in the moment. You're like, you look at her now, and you're like, you idiot. The problem is you don't know the context of why she's asking. See, the context of why she's asking is she's thinking about the temple. Uh, she's thinking about the physical place that God dwells in Jerusalem. Uh, she's thinking about that that is the place that God dwells, and that's where the eternal life is going to come from. So surely you have brought something physical, because the Samaritans couldn't go to Jerusalem and physically be in the presence or in the temple courts. They couldn't physically be with God, a physical thing, a thing to be with God in that moment. And you're going to see how she's tried to do life by looking to the things of this world to solve something that is not physical. It's deeper. Jesus, of course, in his the most amazing way, knowing the heart of this woman, doesn't answer her with the question of, you idiot, that is not what I'm talking about. He actually does the most sweet, amazing, but also brutal truth-telling right here in these next few verses. She asks, okay, if you have it, go ahead and give me it. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. Now, this is a brutal question. And we're going to find out why. I have no husband, she said. And then Jesus says, if he's peeling back onions to her heart, revealing the deepest things that she has tried to fix, her own insecurities, her own loneliness, her own brokenness, her own way of life, finding what she most can pull and stretch out of what she's been given, Jesus pulls it all back and reveals what she's been seeking to try to find meaning, purpose, and to truly fix herself. 
says, you are right. Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you are now have is not your husband. And her quick response is, what you have said is quite true. How many of you guys have been in counseling before? Have you taken any counseling? That's always a hard question to ask because nobody wants to raise their hands. If you have, uh, I myself have, have been through a little counseling, and it's definitely one of those things. This is the type of stuff that just gets pulled out of you, doesn't it? Just gets pulled out of you. Imagine having a total straight, going straight to the root of what really is really wrong and just nailing it. Just nailing it. And going, yeah, you, you, you need to call your husband and come back. No, I don't really want to. Well, why? Because you don't have a husband. I, in fact, no, I've had five husbands, and the one you're staying with isn't that. This is not about adultery. This is not about a, a sermon on divorce or anything like that. Though God hates divorce, and though marriage is a sanctification of the covenant that we share with Christ, and I completely agree with that. But it's not him talking about, hey, you've been a really bad girl. This isn't that sermon, all right? In fact, Jesus is actually doing something incredibly gentle and loving in this moment. Um, he's actually speaking to what she's really wounded in. The, the irony of what Jesus does in these verses has it escaped me until just this last week. She asked for what? She asked for the living water, and Jesus pours the truth and love of living water straight on her wound. He does it. He, he asks her to bring back her husband because he knows this is where the wound lies. This is where the devastation has happened. This is where the lies have creeped in. This is where her problem really is. And right in that moment when she asks for it, it appears that he just kind of brushes it off, but what he really does is he just opens her up to receive it. It's a painful thought to think that Jesus could do that with you and me. So let me ask you this question. Do you want Jesus to do the same thing for you? How many of us in here would ask for living water, something that would not just fix us, but provide new life, but are unwilling to let those layers be pulled back, unwilling to be transparent in front of others, or to talk about the things that make us uncomfortable, or maybe reveal what we're really struggling with? I myself have experienced this uh, time and time again. Uh, you know what leads to greater levels of intimacy in any relationship? You know what it is? It is not hard work. It is not love. It is not serving the other person. It's not selfless, selflessness. Those are all great. But the number one thing that will bring intimacy between you and another person, it can lead to great division. It can lead to great pain. It could lead to great and, and awesome things. And it can lead to horrible things. But it's actually transparency. It's when you're willing to, to reveal deep things about yourself and pull someone else in. When you're willing to, to risk and actually rely on someone else. When you're willing to, to show your brokenness 
to reveal who you really are, to not pretend, but to show it. That's what provides intimacy. That's what reveals the opportunity for trust. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You cannot love and you cannot be loved from a fake place. It is impossible. Someone is searching for you where you are not and you are trying to love from where you are not. That transparency, that communal, in the sense that we should just make a line, everybody stand up here and just confess. No, but I'm saying right now, the intimacy that is in our relationship is brought on by that transparency. That willingness, that humbleness to be seen and known. Craig Rochelle says it like this, we impress people with our strengths, but we only relate through weakness. We impress with our strengths, but we only relate through our weakness. Now, I tell you that because I want you to see her response. Because she says, surely this is true. And then her next response is this. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet, a.k.a. Yoda, all right? Our ancestors have worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So because Samaritans couldn't go to Jerusalem, they made their own place of worship, all right? And she says, but the Jews claim that it's in Jerusalem. And so she's looking for some wisdom. How much do you know about the tension here? What's the physical answer of where I need to go to find the solution to my problem? You can see her searching. Where do I go to discover this truth? Where do I go to let this go deeper? Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, the salvation is from the Jews. I have come, Jesus is basically saying, the Messiah is coming through the promise of Abraham, through the lineage of the Jews. I am the completion of the covenant given to Abraham all that time ago. And yes, that salvation is going to be through the Jews, for sure. But then, he says... Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? A physical place? No, Raka. Raka. Wind, breath, spirit. Wind, breath, spirit. Not here nor there. It is Raka. The same word that is derivative from the word that is in the Hebrew, that is the same word that is in the Greek, it is the breath of God, the very spirit of God, Raka, and in truth, for they have the kind of worshipers, this is the kind of worship that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You will be living embodiments, your breath, your life, you will be the worshipers, and you will have the truth. Peeling that back. Crazy how he just lays this out for her in just a few moments. And then he ends with this. The woman said, I know, I know that. I love that. I get it. I get it. Cool. You're talking about the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, I'm sure he'll explain what you did. Why I can explain it to you is because he came and he was there. <laughs> All right, and then he died, and he came. And then Jesus said this, I, the one you were speaking to, I am he, I am you, I am the I am. 
both stories in Nicodemus and both stories with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, are looking for an answer, are looking for some place to find the deep roots, the deep problems, the deep struggles to, be, to find a solution. And they are both staring at the face of Jesus. They are both staring at the face of Jesus. And so here's my second question. This is my last question. Um, do you want religion or do you want a relationship? Do you want religion or do you want a relationship? Skewed as they were, Nicodemus believed and had a covenant in his mind that was of religious descent. It was going to be and get into his mind. <laughs> And then he would know what to do. And this woman here believed it was a physical building, a physical place that she was going to have to go to receive what Jesus or what God was offering. Sound familiar? Man, that cuts close to home for me. And both times, both times, with Nicodemus and this woman, Jesus looks into their faces and he says, no, this, this is different. This is different. This is about me. This is about something that's going on inside your heart, not a distant place. This is something that's going on in my work, not yours. This is something that I'm going to do that you can take a part of and be in. There's living water that is going to pour through my life that will, that will literally reach any soul that would choose to believe. A new abundant life, a full life. And it's through a relationship. Religion says rules. Religion says reg regulations. Religion has a box. Religious, religion has a building. Relationship. It's got love. It's got selflessness in it. It's got great something else to the table. Relationship changes it from a list to a law of love. The law of lists has washed away, and the law of love has come. So I asked you, do you want religion, or do you want a relationship? <clears throat> How many of you have ever experienced when uh, someone around you gets really sick? This is a really sad thing to, to kind of think about, but I know for me, when I watched my, my grandma... Um, get pancreatic cancer. And I remember being around her and with the family, and we spent just enough time, and I was just old enough to kind of realize what was going on. Um, you know, you're sitting with this woman who has been through so much, and I knew just enough at the time to know that, you know, she had been a mom, and she had worked, and, and she had seen grandkids, and she had been so much joy, but she had so much pain in her life and so much hurt. And you're trying to sit with her and you're trying to help her finish well and you're trying to, to be an encouragement and a joy, but at the same time, the pain is real and death is certain for all of us. And I remember we didn't sit down at the deathbed and go, how can we get you in a church building? And we didn't sit down on the deathbed and go, you know what we need to do? Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Do you remember them? Uh, we didn't sit down uh, at the deathbed and make sure that she knew the right theology. We didn't. <laughs> you know what we did? We, 
talked about Jesus. And we talked about who he was and how gracious he was and how loving he was and how much she was so longing to look into his face and how much she desired to be with him. She had no desire to be religious in that moment. Everything pointed to the relationship that she had with Jesus. I hope and pray that we all don't have to wait until things become clear in that. I hope and pray that we all would find that now, that we would rest in that now, that we would believe that that is, that is true now, that Jesus would reach across, reach to you and say, there is living water. Peel back the onions, the, the broken things that you're trying to fix and say, I have new life for you. Quit whacking at branches and let me get to the root. The life would spring up eternal. And listen, at the end of your life, two things will remain. Who you have loved and who loved you. And that is the law that you love him and that we would love others. That we would love him and that we would love others. And hope that we would see the love that we've received from the Father and that we would walk with those that love us as well. And hope and prayer is that you are born again in that light. That you realize that that is what you have been called into. Out of trying to fix your mistakes, out of trying to be religious and keeping lists, and called into a marvelous new life, full and absolutely about a relationship that is full of love, truth, power. And you are absolutely ambassadors called to do the same to the people around you. I love you guys. I appreciate your listening here. This is a little bit of a different sermon today. But I hope and pray that you'll go home feeling born again. And that you'll feel God prodding and calling you to walk with him in relationship. And to trust the living water that he has poured on your heart. Pray with me.